Hey, it's Greg Grunberg, the great, big, beautiful actor from Star Wars, Star Trek, and geeking out on AMC. Oh, co-author of Dream Jumper. I think I plugged everything. But you are listening to the great, big, beautiful podcast. Have you ever been to Disneyland? Affirmative. That was definitely an e-ticket. I can't believe all the new gadgets they've got now. For a while, we didn't even have a house phone. Not to mention laser discs, high-def TV. You are listening to The Great Big Beautiful Podcast. This week on the show... Well, you know, the other term I'm not crazy about is graphic novels. That was, you know, Will started using that because he was getting pushed back from retailers, from bookstore owners that didn't want to carry comic books in their store. So he chose intentionally to come up with something that sounded a, a little more hoity-toity, a little more fancy than a comic book. Because, I mean, a lot of graphic novels are nonfiction, so <laughs> this doesn't even, like, apply. Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors. <laughs> you can do it all. You're going to do it all today. <laughs> now, we still need you to do the intro. It's true. It's true. It's, it's not a show without you. It's, it's not a show the without intro. the welcome to part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Welcome to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. Facebook.com slash the GBB podcast, Twitter at the GBB podcast. And you can find us on iTunes and Google play everywhere and, and everywhere. everywhere else, everywhere. That's what we always say. That's what we always do. <laughs> so this week's episode didn't drop on Thursday. Like it was, uh, it was supposed to, yeah, Friday, it was Friday. Supposed to be, yeah. You know, we're doing this whole two a week thing to try to catch up and, mm-hmm. um, yeah, my internet decided to just crap out on me, and I was like two days without internet, and it was like, how did we survive before the <laughs> internet? <laughs> I mean, I work, I, I work from home most days, so it's, I really do rely on having the ability to communicate and the ability to do things and research and stuff like that. And uh, you know, when when you're not connected, it's it is all it, it's really strange because it's like you've lost a limb or something you know it's like you <laughs> it, you forget how much we rely on on that instant connection right um, so it was awful that i had two days without internet i finally got it back up and running um but we decided because it was so late on friday that we were just going to skip it so we've got it we pushed everything so anybody who was like I don't think anybody was like eagerly awaiting, sitting like hitting, <laughs> hitting refresh on whatever they use, trying to get the next episode. But if right. you were, I'm sorry, but here we go. We got it now. It is here now. <laughs> it just reminds me of when back in the days when we just had dial up to like it was oh. it was basically useless. <laughs> yeah. No, I re- I remember you know, having the dial up connection and trying to like, if you wanted to like download a photo Mm -hmm. and it would come through like one pixel line at a time and it would slowly fill in the screen. Oh, it was awful. But Jamie, you've been a big fan of bone for a long time. And I remember the first time I ever even, and this may be make me a bad person, um, heard about bone and what it was, was we were interviewing Tad stones and you were like, Oh, bone on the shelf in the background. Oh yeah, he did. He had something (laughs) on the shelf in the background. Right. Um, yeah, I have been a fan. I don't know if I was a fan from issue one. Um, that was 25 years ago, so maybe not. But I was definitely a fan from um, the original run 
of the uh, of the series when he was putting them out under his cartoon books banner. Um, and uh, yeah, the, the book has gone through quite a life over the past 25 years. So it started out as uh, a self-published black and white comic under his cartoon books banner. And then uh, eventually, I'm not sure which when this happened, but eventually it, it uh, moved over to Image uh, and the comic was coming out with Image. And then uh, he was he put out the compilation books uh, still in black and white. And then uh, Scholastic came to an agreement. I don't, I don't want to say that they bought it, but they launched the graphics imprint with the colorized versions. Um, and now there's single volume editions and there's spinoffs and there's novelizations uh, that are, take place in the same world. And it really it's just taken on this incredible life of its own from just based on where it started. But it's this epic, epic story. I mean, anybody who knows Jeff Smith and knows Bone, you know, I'm not telling you anything that you don't know. This is it's one of the seminal epic stories done in the graphic novel format. In terms of kid, we talk about kid friendly, so I shouldn't probably be using that term. But in ter- in terms of books that are uh, beloved by by young readers, uh, they don't come bigger than this. You know, most kids, if they're going to go to the library and pick up a graphic novel of any kind that's not a superhero, it's probably going to be Bone. A librarian will probably put Bone in their in their hands first, um, and for very good reason. It's just a phenomenal, amazing, incredible story, and the art is. It's just amazing. Um, I can't read it enough. I've just I've read through it a few times. I've read through it, you know, to, to my kids, and now they're reading it on their own. Um, so yeah, so Bone is Jeff Smith. It is his life's. I don't want to say it's his life's work because he's done so much else, but it is it is what he has become most well known for. It has dominated his career, uh, and it, he is the only person um, to have guided it you know i mean the 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 novels were written by uh by somebody else who he had worked with um and some of the spin-offs were done had some some other artists working on there but i mean jeff smith had a hand in everything um and it's it's his creation through and through and so he's just he and he's one of just the nicest guys working too i mean he's just such a such a great guy has great stories totally humble you know and um so yeah we had a great conversation we talk about bone we talk about some of the other stuff he's done he, he had a series afterwards called ross Rassel. um we talk about tukey a little bit which is his new uh web comic we talk about uh just everything um and because it's the 25th anniversary recently a new bone book came out it's called bone coda and it's sort of a compilation of a lot of different things it's sort of a celebration of bone and he has included a brief but new story uh set in the uh the bone world with the cousins awesome and i actually since then have checked out bone from my public library as well they have like an entire shelf of bone <laughs> of course so yeah there's nine books there's nine books that yep. form the uh the main story and then mm-hmm. there's there's tall tales um which is basically uh, it's um smiley bone sitting around a campfire with some little bones and he's telling them like (laughs) legends that take place in the bone universe that were referenced at some point in the story. There's Rose, which tells the backstory of princess Rose. Um, and I know I'm forgetting one. Oh, there's another one called stupid, stupid rat creatures. And then there's the three quest Mm -hmm. for the spark, uh, trilogy, I think is what they call quest for the spark. So those, (laughs) those are the novels. So this conversation was fantastic. It was a lot of fun and an absolute honor. So 
we are going to go play that for you right now. Hope you enjoy. Jeff, thanks so much for taking the time to chat. Um, it's a privilege and an honor to have you on the show. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's fun, man. Yeah. Can't wait. Um, I, I want to go back, not to the beginning, but I guess to the beginning of, of Bone, I guess. Um, you started self-publishing when it really wasn't a common or a popular thing to do. Uh, but it's today, in 2016, it's never been easier, which means that the market is kind of flooded and it's hard to get noticed. So it's it's never been easier to get out there, get your work out there, but it's never been easy. It's never been harder to, to be noticed, I guess. And I'm wondering if you think, if you had to start today, um, whether you would even bother or whether uh, you think Bone would be a success. I, you know, I, it's hard to say. The, the market is so different. The business is different. 25 years ago is a long time in yeah. terms of technology. And I mean, there's web comics, mm -hmm. which is also self-publishing. There's uh, uh, everything from do-it-yourself little uh, photocopy to uh, really beautiful art objects, you know, with hand silkscreen covers and, uh, and, and, and people doing their own graphic novels, uh, print-on-demand. It's so different now. Yeah, and it is hard to get noticed, but it was hard to get noticed then, too, just maybe in different ways. Like, there had been Dave Sim and ElfQuest. Mm-hmm. And Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, mm -hmm. which was self-published. Um, but no one took, I mean, people noticed Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But really, when it came to, like, you know, ElfQuest or, or anything else, mm -hmm. you, didn't, there were, you didn't get written up in trade journals. You couldn't really hardly get any ink. So it was, it was, it was difficult in its own way back then. You, you were pretty invisible. Yeah. I think what I think is really fascinating, though, is that despite the success that you've had over those 25 years, you continue to self-publish your new stories. And so Russell and Tukey were both self-published, different formats, but you continue to go that route. Why do you continue to go that route, even though I'm sure any publisher at this point would be happy to pick you up? Uh, I think I think it was just because I've, I've, I've always done it that way. Yeah. I set up... Uh, an artist studio to publish the books. So cartoon books is really more a studio than it is a publishing house. We don't publish anybody except, you know, my stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I've got a team here. Uh, my wife, Vijaya, who's my partner, and she's been my partner since before the first issue of bone, uh, helped me figure out how to run this thing and set it up. We've got Kathleen Glosen and Tom Gott. Both of them have been with us for almost 20 years. Wow. So we've been doing this for a very long time, and a lot of it is, you know, licensing T-shirts and toys and little products, and even um, even Bone into foreign languages. We're still doing that. Just in the last year, I think we added like four new languages. Wow. I mean, we're talking about how. The market has changed since you started in 25 years, and you know technology has, has a lot to do with that. Um, but I think also the current market and you know this this huge surge of, of graphic novels and epic graphic novels and epic storytelling in that in that format, it, it, it exists in large part because of the example that you set and and, and how you published Bone and, and the type of story that it was, and you really paved the way for a lot of other creators to look at what you were doing and say, hey, that's possible. I can actually do that. That's 
that's kind of nice of you to say. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah, I, I, I could kind of tell that the biggest example I was setting was that you could just draw the story you wanted. Yeah. And it wasn't just me, though. There was a, it was kind of the, an, a wave of cartoonists that, and comics lovers that really kind of caught off guard by 1986 with the first volume of Mouse and The Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was kind of like this big bang moment. And then you had people like... Um, Neil Gaiman and I who saw that and just went, this is, that's, we've got to kind of head that way. That's where we've got to go. That we're, that's where the real, I don't creative, fun playground seems to be. Uh, but, but when I did Bone, I thought I was doing something very traditional and kind of predictable. You know, I was just doing Carl Barks yeah. and I kind of mixed it up with heavy metal uh, <laughs> shit from Europe and um, I was surprised at how much people didn't think that was normal or traditional. Really? Yeah, yeah. They thought they said you just can't sell something like this. You can't mix. You can't mix the. It was before you know there people were doing mashups all the time. Yeah. So it was like you can't you can't mix all this stuff up. You can't mix the humans with the cartoon characters, yeah. and um, and cartoony just doesn't sell. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I wanted to ask about that because at the beginning of the story, you know, it, it feels like it's a very just lighthearted kids book with humor and cute animals, like you were saying. But then as it goes on, it gets darker and the themes are much more serious. When you started, you know, and you sat down to, to draw issue number one, was that always the plan to have this big arc? Yes. Yeah. Yes, that was, that was the plan. Uh, even, but even before I decided to have Bone be a comic book, I was trying to uh, sell it as a newspaper strip. And for the newspaper strip, I wanted to have a large continuity with a with that same structure of a beginning and a middle and an end. Mm -hmm. Not knowing how long, maybe I thought maybe it might be 10, maybe 15, 20 years, but I wanted it to have a complete story and end. And uh, all the newspaper syndicates that I submitted the early Bone comic strip to really discouraged me from that idea. They really thought that was a, not going to work. Yeah. And around that time, I was taking a class at Ohio State University from uh, the woman who was, at that time, just setting up the Billy Ireland Cartoon Library and Museum. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's a really amazing yeah. It's, a, it's an amazing place and a resource. And she was just getting it underway. And she was also teaching, you know, kind of small classes, kind of pop culture uh, as seen through the art of comics. And she would get like speakers to come in and talk to her class, too, like Will Eisner. And one day this guy came in. It was Art Spiegelman. Oh. I, didn't, I didn't really know who he was at the time. And I didn't really have a handle on uh, what was going on in like the the independent comics market or you know because I knew the underground had kind of ground to a halt and I didn't really know anything about what was happening in comic books hardly at all and here's this guy and he started first thing he says is that he created wacky packages and the garbage pail kids and I was like well he had me right there yeah exactly <laughs> I love those things so um 
And then he started talking about Mouse, and he was really intelligent, smart guy, just as we all know he is. Uh, and so I went, left that class, went right across the street to the campus bookstore, and I bought a copy of Mouse. And it blew my mind, just like it blew so many other people's minds. Mm-hmm. And uh, I immediately switched right then uh, from wanting Bone to be a newspaper strip to be an independent comic book. And I always planned on uh, trying to uh, collect them into books because I grew up with Peanuts collections or Pogo collections. And so I really wanted to have my own book was the basic idea. So, yes, so I always planned on having a big, long story. And I had the ending worked out in kind of close detail before I even drew the first page. Wow. So if you had known the journey was going to take you almost 15 years and dominate uh, the entire span of your career, not the entire career, but dominate your <laughs> career, do you think you would have still, knowing that, do you think you still would have begun? Yeah, that's a good question. And uh, I actually used to talk about this with Dave Sim because uh, because people would, you know, Dave at that time had been doing service for like 15 years. Right. And, mm-hmm. and I was saying out loud that I was going to do this for a very long time. And in comic books, that's an unusual thing. Uh, you you work on The Incredible Hulk for a while, and then you move on to Captain America or whatever. That's very standard in, in that business. But in the newspaper business, Charles Schultz worked on Peanuts you know, for his entire career. Mm-hmm. So did Walt Kelly. All of my heroes were those guys that had the one character. So especially... You know, within the first five years, I was so excited that, you know, people were buying it and that I might be able to do this for my whole life. I was very excited about that idea that it ended up being, you know, I think it was 13 years uh, just happened to be what when the story came to an end. It's a long time to tell one story, though, isn't it? Yes, it was a very long time. (laughs) And I, I, I did have a couple of rough spots where. You know, it, it, a story isn't just go go go. It's 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 got it's like a roller coaster ride. You want to slow down, you know, get to the top, and then you know have a fast bit of the ride, hit the valley, go around a corner. So there were moments in the story when, that I knew when it was finished, it would have a it would have a correct rhythm to it. But there were slow sections in the comics, the serialized comic, where people would kind of get annoyed and uh, bored and angry. Yeah. I it just popped into my head and you mentioned the serialized comics and how it's such a different reading experience when they first came out versus how kids mostly encounter the story now. You know, they pick up the trades and they'll read the entire story straight through. Um, I mean, it's certainly, like you said, it has the, the it has a great flow reading it that way, but it's not how it was originally presented. I mean, if you had had your druthers at the time, do you think that you would have presented it in these, like... 100, 150 page chunks or, or was the the short serialization of the issues still the better way to present it for the first time? Yeah, you're right. It's, 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 it's one of the first uh, entertainment binging yeah. experiences. You can do that now. Um, and I love that. I love that shows, TV shows are doing that now. Mm-hmm. You know, Breaking Bad, you can just watch the whole thing or Stranger Things, I just watched that. That was amazing. So good, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I even heard that the new Star Trek is going to be uh, a single story. Yep. And when it's done, mm-hmm. you'll be able to binge watch it like that. Yeah. Uh, I, can't, I can't look back and really second guess it 
because it, I didn't have it plotted out so tightly that I knew what was going to be an issue 35, say. Yeah. Well, the way I had it plotted out was I had a file that I had outlines in it. And in the outline, um, you know, I knew, you know, it was going to start with them in the desert. They'd been run out of Boneville. I knew that they were going to, I can't remember all the different things. I knew something was going to happen where that would keep them from going home. And that turned out to be the cow race. But see, I didn't even plan that. I just said, something does something to get them in trouble and they're forced to stay in the valley. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was, it was planned. I had I knew that the giant mountain lion section was going to happen towards the middle. That would be the center of the book. And at that point, they were going to start making decisions about which direction things were going to, the story was going to go. And I don't know that the book would have been the same book if I had just stayed at home and drawn the whole thing mm-hmm. um, for 12 years. <laughs> yeah, see why I would have done it. Or even, even one book a year. I wouldn't have it wouldn't have had the the spontaneity that I think that the characters have and as they experience the world. Yeah. I got feedback from readers and they would they would like get me excited and kind of push me in one direction or another or yeah. or slow me down from something I thought I might want to do, you know? Yeah. Well, it's got to be a totally different experience as a creator. I mean, it's obviously it's a different reading experience, but as a creator, you know, some, what you did with with putting it out issues in, in these short little 30-page chunks versus something like what Kazu Kawishi is doing in with Amulet, you know, where he's putting it out in much larger chunks. It's still one big story, but it's much larger chunks at a time. Um, yeah, that's hard. that actually looks hard to me. I mean, I've, I've watched him at work a few times, and yeah. I, I'm doing something that big would be a nightmare <laughs> for me because I each chapter I would you know maybe 22 pages was the average mm-hmm. uh, I would you know get it all written uh, thumbnailed and then start lay out all 22 pages and do each like one thing at a time like put all the panel borders and the lettering on all 22 pages mm-hmm. then go back and do all the 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 first rough pencils on all 22 pages then go back and tighten all the faces of the characters on all 22 pages and then ink all the faces this is just was my own yeah way of working and anybody can do whatever they want i did that for a couple of reasons one i really wanted to get those faces down before the deadline hit and the jay would come and rip the rip the artwork out of my hands and give it to the fedex guy and if once that happens you start blowing things off and i didn't want any blowing off on the faces because that's where all the acting is so i'd always get the faces inked and in the can um the other reason was is by doing the whole thing at once i could constantly reread sections or pages at a time and feel the flow mm-hmm. and the flow would change as the inking came in like sometimes there's too many details in one picture would distract your eye and slow your eye down and that would F up my uh, my timing, so I have to maybe just ink over that or or white it out or something. So I'm trying to do an entire uh, amulet book at one time. I would probably have a nervous breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> You're really tearing your hair out at deadline time, man. It's it's oh, it's, it's hairy. It gets hairy. I'll bet. Um, so I mean, like a lot of 
parents who, you know, I, I didn't grow up with Bone. It was, I was a little bit older, but I, you know, it was definitely part of my reading experience when I was much younger. But I read it all aloud to my kids. And, you know, now my oldest is reading it on her own. But when I read it, um, you know, obviously I put my all into it. And every character had his or her own voice. And But I'm curious to know, in your head, how the Bone Cousins sound to you. What do Phone, Smiley, and Phony sound like when, when they're talking? Huh. Uh, I guess I've, I've never really thought about it. I, I, I hear them like when I read Peanuts. They're mm-hmm. the same voices, I think, pretty much. You know, uh, I, I'm old enough to remember, in, I was six years old when the first Charlie Brown special came out. Mm-hmm. And I was really nervous about it. Even as a little kid, I was like, oh, <laughs> God. and I couldn't believe how they sounded so close to kind of how I heard them in my head. Yeah. So, yeah, I know. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't hear like any other cartoon characters or any particular actors or anything. But they don't have a specific voice? Like, when you when you sit down to draw a smiley or phony, they don't have a specific voice that they're talking to you in? I'm not asking you to make it. I'm just wondering if you if, <laughs> if they did. <laughs> no, I, uh, no, no, I, I, I don't. Oh. I, I hear a cadence. Yeah. They speak in a certain style, and uh, but I don't hear, like, um, you know, Goofy or Donald Duck or anything like right. that or... Bugs Bunny, or even a specific <laughs> actor, I, I wouldn't. Interesting. I don't hear so, so I think this is the place where we get Jamie to do his voices. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do it later. It's okay. Uh, not Jamie. <laughs> I'll do it so, later. So you've won countless awards in your career, including almost two dozen Eisners and Harveys. If you were being honest, has the acclaim changed the way you approach your work? Um, I, I don't know if it changed the way I like would sit down at, at my drawing board in the morning and write, but it does it does make a difference. It if you feel like someone's reading it and appreciating it, it makes it a lot more fun to go through that right. um, to go through it because it's it can be a real grind. I mean, there's many parts of the process of creating a comic that are just a joy. Just the sitting there dreaming about uh or make you know doing the make-believe part you know daydreaming what it's going to be and then the first time you draw it and then then there's there's some real you know nitty-gritty it's you know trying to you know paint a house with a with a paintbrush you know with a little time with a with a with a toothbrush i would say you know it's there's a lot of work in little detail stuff to do uh and that it's got to be worth it to do that yeah. Um, and and awards do kind of make you feel better. <laughs> <laughs> would you would you consider diving back into a, you know maybe not on the scale of Bone, but like a, a massive project that would take you know multi years, or you know are you just concentrating on these comparatively smaller projects for the time being? No, I think I think Tuki is going to be a, a, a bigger. A bigger story. Yeah, it's um, it's on hiatus right now uh, for a couple of reasons. I'm I'm it's the 25th anniversary of Bone. I wanted to do a, sort of a little behind the scenes um, treat for all the Bone fans. Or at least I hope it's a treat called Bone Coda. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I'm I'm gonna working on a couple other projects. And I also figured out something in Tuki that I need to go back. So I, I'm stopping until I'm, I'm working that out. So. 
I was going to ask you what the latest was on that. So are, does that mean, because I saw that it was on hiatus and that you were going to go back to tweak the beginning. So does that mean when it comes back, you're going to start over from the beginning? You know, I, let me ask you, what do you think? See, because I obviously wouldn't have done that with Bone. Uh, I made plenty of changes when I collected them in books. And that's probably what I'll do with Tukey. You know, I'll just continue on. And then when I get the book, there'll be this like new opening prologue uh, and a few changes and tweaks here and there. Yeah. That's probably how it'll be. I haven't quite made that decision yet because I'm not sure if people will be pissed or not. <laughs> I don't. I don't think so. I mean, it, but it's. It. I mean, obviously, I don't know what it is that you're going to go back to change. I mean, if it's something that you could put into a prologue that would just start before the first panel and that would explain everything that you need to, then I think that's a brilliant solution. But I don't. I mean, I. I don't see a problem with going back the way that it was. The format that you were presenting it in, I don't think that it would harm anything to go back and just start over. That's true, because it was mostly a webcomic and, um, and a, not a very well-bought comic book. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not Jeff Smith, so I don't make those kind of decisions. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll make, we'll make some kind of decision. It'll, we'll figure it out next year sometime. Yeah. Um, I wanted to, you know, we asked you about the acclaim that you get from the awards, but I think, you know, something that might be even more immediate is the fan reactions that you get. Um, and I think that, you know, 25 years on from, from Bone and, you know, everything else that you've done since then, you are in a position that I think a lot of creators would envy. Um, you know, people, readers and fans are just eagerly awaiting whatever it is that you have coming next. Uh, and while I think that that could be incredibly gratifying, I would imagine that it's also pretty daunting. I mean, d how do you push back, push past the, you know, this this rabid desire for whatever it is that's coming off of your pen? Well, they they only are rabid for it if it's bone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> uh, then, uh, if it's not bone, then they're just they're just annoyed. Really? No, uh, you, no I'm kidding. Yeah, uh, it's not true. Yeah, it's well, no. I don't think about that. It's fine. Yeah. I, I because I've moved so crazily uh, through genres. You know, I did Bone, then I did Shazam for DC, uh, <laughs> then Rassel, and then and now Tukey, and they're all. Well, they all have a. I was going to say they're all comedies. They're not. Rassel's not a comedy. Right. So, I. I think now it's whatever difficulty people are going to have with me doing something after Bone. I think that's gone. It's like, what, whatever, whatever, well, Jeff. <laughs> I, I mean, I know Russell came from this place of wanting to do something completely different from Bone, um, but did you, did you get a fair bit of pushback at all? Because you had become such an established creator of of you know quote unquote kids books or all ages comics with Bone. And now you were coming out with something that wasn't. I mean, did, were yeah. there a lot of people, you know, saying, "Oh, that's such a great idea"? Uh, not, not as many as you th you would think. Yeah. Uh, I, and I didn't do Russell as an intentional, you know, break with my past. I, I actually was just sitting up late at night, like two in the morning, inking the last few, the whole last arc of Bone, and I happened to get into a. Uh, kind of a, a, a film noir uh, kick into a habit. I was just watching a bunch of Humphrey Bogart movies, A Big Sleep and The Maltese Falcon. And then I started watching Blade Runner, and I was thinking, ah, science fiction and noir, and I'm I'm really into those things. I'm really into 
I'm really into physics, but you know, only in kind of like an armchair kind of way. Like I love watching documentaries on it and Nova. Uh, and so it was really just a real desire to actually try to do a story like that and have my bad, my, not my bad guy, have my hero, my protagonist be kind of an unlikable guy. Yeah. Cause my, probably my favorite character to write in bone was phony bone yeah. who was nasty. And I thought, well, why, what would it be like to have if, so not that Russell as a character was like phony bone, but he definitely wasn't a hero. He was an anti-hero, and I wanted, that was interesting. Also, um, when I started thinking about Russell, which was like in 2000, uh, Bone was not a kid's book. That didn't happen until probably 2002, or at least that I knew about it, because there really weren't kids or very many women uh, reading comics in those early days, and I was just doing Bone for guys like us, mm-hmm. you know, comics heads right yeah, yeah. and um so i don't think too many people thought of bone in the comic book world as a kid's book i mean it started to in the you know i think somewhere in the late in the late 90s like disney started to uh serialize it in their disney adventures digest mm-hmm. and uh and then the librarians started carrying it in schools and in public libraries and putting it in the kids section and i didn't really know about that so much and then the last step of that process was uh, Scholastic you know, heard about it and thought, let's launch a let's launch a line of kids' graphic novels with this yeah. book. The librarians are telling them they should should launch it with. Yeah. yeah so that was weird. So so it started with me doing um, a comic book for grown-ups that was supposed to look like or feel like an old Carl Barks. You know, Uncle Scrooge comic, and then it kind of turned into a real kids comic, kids comic. which was unexpected. That, that's <laughs> interesting that you say. You know, when you were making it, you didn't think that it was going to be a kids book, and it wasn't obviously until um, you know the colorized versions really came out and just sort of changed the entire industry. Um, well, that and that is when uh, now by the time. I got around to Rassel, which was like 2007, 2008, I started to work on it. Bone had been uh, this scholastic book for kids for a couple years. And it was suddenly, I, then it was the first time I was a little nervous about it. Yeah. It was like I said, when I started thinking about doing this, you know, hard drinking, womanizer um, guy, mm-hmm. this, this character who's not a good guy. Uh, I wasn't worried about it. But but when I started to really do it, I was worried about it. And I did actually talk to Scholastic. I told them what I was working on. And they were like, well, you know, that's yeah, that's fine. That's yeah. You're an author. Just do whatever you want. <laughs> exactly. Just, I just, and I was going to. But I wanted to give them a little heads up. Just a little so. heads up in case seven-year-olds write in saying, what can I read next from this guy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, so... But along with that, you know, you weren't creating the book specifically to be a kid's book. But so now, because it is widely regarded as like the greatest kids graphic novel ever made, are are you are you a fan of that all ages label? Or do you think that it comes with sort of unfair connotations? Um, well, I think I kind of start made that up. Yeah, it was. A, I was there was a moment where uh, the comics 
uh, journalism class or the critics. I don't know what to call it. As you, uh, the, this, you know, the people that talk about comics and analyze them. I think they were trying to, and I didn't, I didn't take it badly, but I, they were trying to categorize what I was doing. And I started to see, you know, it's a kid's book. It's a children's book starting to pop up in articles and things like that. Uh, and I thought, I can't, I can't let that go yeah. because uh, that will hurt. That, that'll kill me. Because if people think it's a kid's book, then the only people that were buying comic books who were grown-ups would stop buying it. Mm. It was my fear. Does, you, does that make sense? It does, yeah. So I actually kind of went on the offensive and started uh, using the term all ages so that it would cover the the ground. And in retrospect, I not I'm don't I'm not fond of the term. It's it still sounds kind of kid like. Yeah. But you know what? When it comes down to it, that's all just marketing. And it is. I mean, it's it's mostly. I don't want to say mostly. I mean, it's it has become a euphemism. It's just another way to say kids. You just you put say it's all ages, which means it's a kids book. But I think that, you know, I think that's an unfair label because there are many books. It's not just Bone, but there are many books that truly are all ages. You know, a kid, a five year old can enjoy it the same way a fifty year old can enjoy it. And I I think that that label has been gotten maybe some bad marketing use. <laughs> But, yeah, but we have you to thank for it for inventing. Yeah, it, yeah, <laughs> yep, you're welcome. <laughs> so thanks. Well, you know the other term I'm not crazy about is graphic novels. Uh, that was you know Will started using that because you know he was just getting he was getting pushback from store uh, retailers mm-hmm. from bookstore owners that didn't want to carry comic books in their store. So he tr- was trying intentionally to come up with something that sounded. A, a little more hoity-toity, a little more fancy than a comic book. Yeah. And that's what it sounds like to me still to this day. Because, <laughs> I mean, a lot of graphic novels are nonfiction, so <laughs> this doesn't even, like, apply. Yeah. However, once the librarian started using the term graphic novel, it stuck. the war was over. Right. It was over. Right. They're graphic novels. I accept. <laughs> and I accept all ages. It's too late. <laughs> <laughs> So Bone is unique in many ways, but one of the most significant is that it reaches boys and girls equally, and it isn't usually classified either a boy book or a girl book. Uh, nevertheless, those labor labels still exist. So what what is your response when people try to use those labels about your work? Is it something? Is it still ha- is it still happening even with Bone? Um, well, like we were just talking about the 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 kids label or the all ages right. label. Um, yeah, you're right. You know, I've never really thought about that before. Uh, there's not really been much of a, I've never heard it referred to as either a boy yeah. book or, or a lot, a lot of books. A lot of books are, you know, you'll, you'll still hear a lot of parents, librarians, right. not so much, but a lot of parents will still say, you know, is this, I need a good book for my daughter or I need a good book for mm-hmm. my boy as if books can't cross you know be appealing to, to 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 everybody but bone is really unique in that you don't hear i've never heard it referred to as as a boy book or a girl book it's just all kids I, love I, it i have never i've never heard it and i've never even thought about it before so so thank god i missed that little lady. <laughs> <laughs> uh what would you be doing today if bone had never happened i know exactly what i'd be doing today I'd be flipping burgers at McDonald's because <laughs> I am not—I am not good at for anything. This—this this is what you got, right? 
this is it. I got lucky that this worked because I was, <laughs> it was. I would. I would. I would probably be eating. Hey, do, so where are you? Where are you guys located? I'm just outside of DC. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm in Eastern Canada. Oh, you guys are like uh, actually really far. I thought you were actually in the same town. No, 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 <laughs> no. We've well, actually we've actually only met once in real life. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. Yeah. Oh, that? <laughs> well, what I was going to say is that here in Columbus, Ohio, we're a test market for a lot of like fast food chains. Okay. They just test marketed this thing at McDonald's that was that a little mini Mac, the regular Big Mac, and then they had like a giant Mac. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is that like are they trying the Apple model? You know, like the iPad Mini and then the uh, iPad Pro. <laughs> It's exactly that. It was exactly that. And I hadn't had a Big Mac in years, and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna try that. Which, so I got which did you go for? The mini or the Ma- or the or the super Mac? Uh, the super Mac. Nice. <laughs> it was it was just like a giant patty with a hell of a lot of Big Mac sauce. On it. Oh my god! <laughs> so will you be buying another one though? I did have two. Oh my gosh! Over the not at the same time. Oh, okay. <laughs> Over the course of their little promo, and then I haven't been back since. So. Oh wow! Yeah, the uh, the the diversity that some of these places have just regionally blo- kind of blows my mind. The um, this is apropos of nothing, but you brought a McDonald's. The the coolest thing I ever <laughs> saw was uh, when I was in India. The the food that they have in McDonald's because they it's mostly vegetarian. Mm-hmm. It was just it was unreal. Like I wanted to go. It was I I, I didn't want to go to McDonald's because we were in India, but I wanted to go and try all this crazy stuff that I you could never find anywhere else. So, um, hey Vijay, Vijay, come here one second. I just want to ask you a question. No, well. Did we uh, did we eat a veggie mac in India? A Big Mac. <laughs> she can't remember. <laughs> but the whole mm. menu was different. Well, we like did, I, we we, <laughs> I think we walked into one originally just to use the bathroom, and the whole menu was different. It was un- it was it blew my mind. <laughs> Where? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think I I think I saw what like a baguette. Nick Baguette at uh, in France. Okay, all right. There we go. We've covered McDonald's. There we go. McDonald's is done. <laughs> the podcast is done. We've talked about McDonald's. <laughs> Jeff, I want to thank you so much for your time. This is just—it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Hey, thanks a lot, Jamie and Justin. It was really cool talking to you, man. That's it for this week on the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. And I can't imagine how awesome. I mean, some people might not consider it awesome because they can't concentrate on one thing for so long, but I think it would be awesome to do a series for, for most of your career. I think that's, to me, that's like the dream, right? (laughs) Yeah. I took, it was 15 years thereabouts from start to finish, you know, between issue one of bone Mm -hmm. and when it finally ended. Um, That's a long time to tell one story with the same characters, but uh, you know, like he said, that was, it was the story he wanted to tell and it had, you know, the ending he wanted it to have. And, um, he, and he, he did it at his own pace too. I mean, there mm-hmm. was a long time where it was not a monthly book, you know, there were months right. go by and you wouldn't see a new issue because he was, he was doing everything himself and it was completely self-published. And so, um, yeah, he went at his pace to make sure that it was done right. And, uh, I think that's, that's, much of its value and that's that's definitely a lot of its charm is that it it uh it is that singular vision 
And, and it's very telling that it had an audience the entire time. The oh, people, yeah. people were, you know, really into it and not, you know, they wanted, they couldn't wait till the next one came out. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Over 15 years. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. And, and he's still to this day. I mean, he hasn't done, I mean, except for like these short little stories of show right. up in something like Coda, he hasn't gone back and done like a bone two or something, you know? And so, but to this day, like I saw him in San Diego and whenever he's signing or shows mm-hmm. up at a panel or sitting at a table, you know, doing something, sketching, he has incredibly long lines. He's still super, like super popular. And what's what's so gratifying is that so many of the people in line are young kids right. because they're just you know these young readers are going to continue to just discover it. Exactly. So for them, it's still going to be brand new, you know, and the popularity will just continue. Right. So what are, what are we going to come up with? Puts us on Jeff Smith level. Uh, you mean this podcast doesn't do it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're getting there. We're close. <laughs> we're closing in on a hundred episodes here. It's buddy. true. It's true. It's true. So speaking of that, thank you so much for coming back week after week. Make sure you hit that subscribe button so you can keep getting it delivered to your podcast feed. And if you want, you can leave us an iTunes review. That really helps us out. And it's amazing when you guys do that. Yeah, please do. You know, we get excited whenever we see the numbers go up. We don't have a whole lot of reviews and, um, we know we have listeners. We know we have awesome, amazing <laughs> listeners. Uh, we know we we see your tweets. We see your Facebook messages. Mm-hmm. We get your we get your your feedback in other ways. But um, leaving an iTunes message, even if it's just a short one or two word thing, uh, it really does help in the rankings and help uh, help right. other people discover the show. Even if you just type good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's great. Exactly. It helps other people discover and think that hey, that show is good. Maybe I I'll, I'll give it Maybe a listen. Mediocre. <laughs> Three mediocre, you know, whatever. <laughs> whatever, whatever floats your boat. <laughs> All right, guys, we will see you next week, or not, not even next week. We will see you on Thursday because Jamie has internet now. That's right. And we'll see we, you later this week. And we have a great interview to run that day as well, but you're going to have to stay tuned to find out who it is. You're going to have to stay tuned. Mystery. Mystery. Do, 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 do. That's X. No, that's. That's Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. Do, 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 do. <laughs> yeah. That's what we'll 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 become a Twilight Zone podcast maybe Excellent. for a two hundredth episode. All right, we'll we'll see you next week. I'm Justin at one forty Justin C. I'm Jamie at the Robots. Take care. Have a great week. This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at Patreon.com/slash Geek Dad. <laughs>